Okay, I want to start with something, a question for discussion, though. So we're going to just change gears and have some fun. Um, I want you to share in groups of two or three around you or gather more people if you want to. What was a delicious food item or a meal that you enjoyed this week? Something delicious you ate this week. Share, go. You have one minute, so find people around you. Okay, let's come back together. If you can hear my voice, clap once. We could talk about food forever. Isn't food great? I know. It's awesome. Um, so hold on to that delicious food item as we journey through this morning's topic, Feeding the Hungry. Um, we're, we're, so we're going to talk about food and hunger. And I want to just give some very, very um, short statistics about that within our own local community. So you see the total population numbers of Johnson County and Lynn County, where Cedar Rapids is. Uh, Johnson County here, of course, uh, where Iowa City, Coralville, North Liberty are. Of the 150,000 residents in Johnson County, 12,000 of them face food insecurity. Many, many, many of that thousands are children. And then it's double in Lynn County. 24,000 people face food insecurity in Lynn County, about, just about 10% of the population. Uh, thankfully, there are a number of government and nonprofit programs that are assisting folks who need help, and we play one part of that. In our very own Cougar Chow program, we're bringing bags of food. Um, we do that other ways, which I'll explain more in a bit. We, Sanctuary, do this as part of our faith. We see it as an expression of our faith to help feed the hungry and address issues in our local community. We understand that God sides with the hungry and the poor, and that God calls us to join God in siding with the hungry and the poor. Food and hunger are major themes in the Bible. Food is celebrated as a gift from God, a sacrament, a holy reminder that God provides and that life can be delicious. And then we also have in the Bible dozens of stories of famine and or oppressive systems that leave people poor and hungry. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at some sections from the book of Amos that talk about poverty. Now, Amos was a prophet he was someone who spoke and acted on God's behalf, bringing messages from God. He lived in a time about 800 years before Jesus. Okay, so a very long time ago. We're talking about ancient texts, ancient people. It was a turbulent time in the life of Israel, uh, which maybe it's always a turbulent time in the life of Israel in the Bible and now. Indeed, uh, but at this particular moment, there's an empire knocking on its door. And the empire is Assyria. The big bad Assyrian empire is coming to call. It's taking out Israel's neighbors one by one and getting ever closer to Israel, which is causing some panic and alarm and all kinds of shocks to the economic and political system. The book of Amos then portrays the person Amos as someone sent to warn Israel it's not going to go well for you because Assyria is coming and they're coming because of your sins, particularly your sins of injustice 
and oppression. So let's read a short, some short sections from the book of Amos, starting in Amos chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. They who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and push the afflicted out of the way. From Amos 5. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and take from them levies of grain, literally taking their food, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not live in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and push aside the needy. And then finally, another one from Amos 5. God says, even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like water and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Powerful. We hear the main concern in these passages. It's simply stop treating the poor badly. That's it. And there's two things that Amos is saying. Number one, it's like you're being a bully on the playground. You're literally pushing the heads of the poor into the dust of the earth. And it's like you're, you're going about treating them specifically badly. Or, number two, you're pushing them aside. Pushing aside the needy and hungry so you don't have to look at them. Out of sight, out of mind. It's inconvenient to see the hungry and the poor and the needy. So let's just get rid of them. Let's push them aside so we don't have to look at them. But God, says Amos, sees the poor. God is paying attention to the needy and those suffering injustice. And God is on their side. God's not on the side of the powerful, on the ones treating the poor badly or just ignoring them. God is on the side of the poor. Now that last section, I'll just put it up again. You know, we have this image of God not accepting the offerings or the songs, you know, take away from me the noise of your songs. I mean, this is, this is intense. This is Israel's worship, you know. God saying to the churches, if you will, I don't like your music. Like, take it away. Sounds bad. And it's as though God's saying, you have the nerve. You have the nerve to come into my presence and worship me after the way you've been ignoring or treating badly the poor? Intense critique. Now, as I mentioned, along with the critique from Amos comes a warning of doom. Israel, or Israel, watch out. Assyria is coming. 
Those houses you built, you're not going to enjoy them. Those vineyards you planted, you will not enjoy the fruit. This is part of a classic formula that we see in the prophets, okay? And here's this formula. If you do good, you get blessed by God with security and prosperity. If you do badly, if you sin, look out because it's not going to go well. That's my paraphrase of Deuteronomy. <laughs> now, <laughs> this, okay, so this formula, we see it throughout the Bible, particularly in the prophets. And as the prophets are naming different sins, almost all of them, by the way, are talking about injustice. That is the most frequently cited of the quote-unquote sins. The Bible, though, is not univocal on this formula. All right, there are a number of other places in the Bible, particularly the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, and the book of Job, among others, that call attention to the many, many ways that that formula does not work out, doesn't compute. For example, there are a lot of Psalms that will say, why is it, God, that the people who are powerful and wealthy and treat the poor badly, they seem to be doing quite well. <laughs> Nothing bad's happening to them. And why is it, God, that the people who are mistreated, the poor, why is it that they still suffer calamity? Why aren't you doing anything, oh God? Okay, so we share in that question, at least I do. I ask it, I don't know, daily. <laughs> um, you know, so we hear, though, a very different perspective from the formula Amos is offering. I bring this up because I think it's helpful to hold intention Amos's warning of doom alongside that wisdom literature. Because what that does is it allows us to let go of any causal relationship of divine blessing. We don't have to work that out. Instead, what we can focus on is the heart of the concern. That is, God cares about the poor and the needy. How it all gets worked out causally, okay, there's a lot of questions there. But listen to what God's concern is. Listen to the heart of God. God cares about the poor, the suffering, the hungry, those who are received, on the receiving end of injustice. And anyone who wants to join and say that they are aligned with God, will be siding with the poor, will be tending to the needs of the poor, will be sharing liberally the resources that God has given the people. All right, now a lot of writers of the New Testament pick up on this same concern. And here's one example from the book of James, who wastes no time getting to it. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Surely that faith cannot save, can it? If a brother or sister is naked or lacks daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm, eat your fill. Mm. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What is that good? What is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Y'all seen um, Stranger Things? You remember that pumpkin patch? Um, you got to give this to me. Tomorrow's Halloween, the greatest. 
holiday of the calendar year. We can all admit that. Um, so Stranger Things, if you haven't seen it, totally fine. Here's a, a, an image, or I'll share a few, of the pumpkin patch. And the image here is the, the uh, upside-down world is invading our world, and everything it touches, it turns to death and decay and rot. And it's gross and fantastic in the, in the series of this, this movie. Okay, this is how God views faith that neglects the poor. It is rotting on the vine. It is decay. It is death. That's it. The good news is the flip side. That the faith that does look to the needs around us, the faith that says, let's ask the hard questions about why poverty exists at all. That kind of faith can be fruitful and delicious. It's like pumpkin pie. <laughs> the flip side, right? It is the vibrant fruit coming to us that we get to enjoy, and there's plenty of it. If you don't like pumpkin pie, okay, pick your pie. Pick something delicious. You get the point, right? This is the kind of faith that God invites us to. This is the faith of Jesus. It is delicious. It is abundant. It is a faith of radical justice. So that's the invitation for us today, you know. Um, we talk about this a lot. We emphasize this a lot at Sanctuary, but today maybe is a special emphasis as a community, we're always engaging in the question, how do we practice this together? Uh, we provide service opportunities like the houses into homes, right? We're addressing needs in the community, practical needs, building uh, with Habitat for Humanity. We have our Cougar Chow program that Becca shared about. We have an emergency assistance fund, money for people who are facing needs within our community. There's details about that in the bulletin every week, by the way, on the back of the bulletin. We do donation drives collecting diapers, winter coats. Uh, we'll have a mitten tree in the holidays coming up where you can donate hats and mittens. Additionally, Sanctuary gives 10% of all we bring in to other organizations in the community and the world around us. Communities meeting needs in the world. So literally, every, all the money we collect, our budget's about $500,000. So every year, we're giving away $50,000 to other nonprofits and local organizations. That's incredible, right? It's so great. And it matters because when churches write checks, people notice that. Um, I don't know if you've seen, but Christianity has a little bit of an image problem in American <laughs> culture right now. <laughs> you know? And so, like, and they say that all press is good press. I don't buy it when it comes to the church. It's like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> um, it might be true in some sense, but yeah, not in the, not in the church. And uh, I know Jesus doesn't need our help with marketing, but it's kind of nice, like when a church makes some good news. So we get to do that together. It's great. It's one of the best parts. Uh, we're one of the most fun parts of our budget when we think about that. Um, okay, so that's what we do as a church community. How about individually? What are each of us doing when we think about helping, leaning into God's siding with the hungry and the poor? 
well, I want to offer some ideas, okay? And I, I actually went looking for help on this, like, what can people do? So I found this great website. I know you can't see all this, but this is, at the top right, you'll see a, the word food span. This is a program from Johns Hopkins University where they have a series of all kinds of lessons, free lesson plans. It's brilliant on the entire food system, and that's the little like fun visual there, like every part of the food system, from the earliest production to you know, consumers buying and produce, or you know, making their own food, whatever. So I got a bunch of ideas from when I was reading their lesson plan. So here you go. I'm going to give you like nine ideas. If any of these like, feel like, oh, that could be cool, I'll, I might try it out. Awesome. If you feel like you're already doing stuff, sweet, and just enjoy this. Okay, here we go. So on the eating thing, practicing mindful eating, the awareness of food, what we're eating, how it tastes, how it impacts our bodies. Eating with others, family, friends, or new acquaintances. I know we always do this, but thinking about that. Who are we eating with? Who are we not eating with? What does it mean? And then finally, try fasting, not for weight loss. That's a whole other thing. We'll sit aside. Um, I fast weekly as a spiritual practice, and I can't tell you how much it has absolutely transformed my relationship with food and my perspective on hunger. Um, So the idea here, by the way, just to make this explicit, is that our own relationship to food and sort of becoming more aware of that impacts then how we think about food and hunger everywhere. Right, so that's what we're trying to do is practice that kind of awareness. So that's the John Hopkins approach. Purchasing and preparing food. Practice mindful uh, food purchasing. What are we buying? Where does our food come from? Who prepared it? How is it produced? What's the environmental impact? How much are we spending and why? Growing our own food to eat. And then finally, noticing food waste. They have a couple lessons on this. It's staggering. Fully one-third, one-third of the food produced in the United States goes uneaten. Yeah, it's pretty horrifying. At some point along, there's a long diagram, that S-shaped diagram that I put up earlier. So it's not just like food waste in the home, but it's like at every place along the, uh, the chain, if you will. So there's a lot there to consider. So you could look that up, learn more about it, see if there's something to do with that. And then finally, sharing. Donating food or money to food banks. Volunteering with an organization addressing food, insecurity, or hunger. And finally, advocating for legislation that addresses poverty and hunger. Systemic change. Why are there hungry people at all when we have such an abundant earth that could well feed us? Every single one of us. Okay, so I just give you a flood of ideas. And the idea here is, you know, the invitation is, how can we lean into God siding with the poor and the hungry? How might we just grow? Take a next step. See what works. Let me end with another short section from the book of Amos. This one's much more hopeful. Um, you know, the prophets, they're great. They bring like this message of doom. And by the way, there's hope. <laughs> and so here's one of those hopeful images from Amos. The time is surely coming, says the Lord, when the one who plows shall catch up with the one who reaps 
and the treader of grapes with the one who sows the seed. The idea there is it's so abundant that the harvesting is happening still while you're planting for the next season. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit, says the Lord your God. This image of abundance, you know, and wine is everywhere. (laughs) I mean, it's everywhere. The mountains are dripping wine. Like, wow, that's a lot of wine. Um, You know, at the beginning, I asked us each to share a delicious food item. You know, think about that food item in these terms of abundance. That the cities would be overflowing with delicious food, with bread and wine, with bagels and grape juice, with pizza and chana masala. That that kind of abundance that Amos envisions is possible and that we all could enjoy it. There is food and plenty for every single one of us. May it be so. And may each of us embrace the faith that will lead us to practice justice and to tend to others' needs around us. Amen.